You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. So this Bible reading is Genesis chapter 2, verse 4 through to 7. And you can read it using the Bibles on the pews in front of you or a Bible app on your phone. And it's the start of the story of Adam and Eve. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Thanks, John. Well, good evening, everyone. My name's Tim. I'm the senior minister here at St. John's. And as Kirk said, we're starting a new series. It's a series that's going to run through the whole of this term. Uh, And the series is called, Who Am I? So we're thinking about the question of, who are we as people? What does it mean to be a human being? Where do we get our sense of identity and our sense of purpose? Who am I? Uh, It's a really important question to ask. I think whatever your age or stage. One of the great things about our church is we have uh, people from one week old, we had a one week, baby, one week old baby here this morning, through to people who are 95 years old, and these, this question of who you are and your identity is a question that hits you through the whole of your life. Now, it's, a, it's a, probably a key question for you if you're a teenager or a young adult, because you're wrestling with the question of you know, who am I? Who am I independently of my parents and my family? What am I going to do with the whole of my life? How do I understand who I am, my place in the world, and what I'm actually going to do with my life? Who am I? That's a really key question. I remember wrestling hard with that question uh, in my teenage and young adult years. But it's not a question that you kind of deal with once at that age, and then it's over and done with. It's a question that comes back and it, it hits us again and again, and particularly, it hits us at different points of transition and change in our lives. And I think the main reason for that is because of where we tend to invest our identity. So lots of times we might invest our sense of who we are in our work, right? I'm a teacher, or I'm a nurse, or I'm an electrician. But then what happens when you stop doing that? A change occurs. Maybe you have a baby and you leave the workforce to care for that baby. Who are you then? Or you're made redundant. You lose your job. You're unemployed. Or you hit retirement. If your entire sense of who you are, your identity, your purpose is invested in the job that you do, then if you're no longer doing that job, does that mean you've lost your sense of self and who you are and your worth that's attached to it? Who am I? Or we can invest a sense of uh, who we are, our identity, our purpose in our relationships. 
right? I'm a dad, or I'm a wife, or I'm a friend. But then what happens if something happens to that relationship? Maybe the relationship breaks up, you're divorced, or you're separated, or you break up with your girlfriend or boyfriend. Or someone dies, someone very close to you uh, dies. Or you have an argument, an, an irreconcilable argument, something that you can't resolve, and the friendship or the relationship is broken. Who are you then? Have you lost your sense of who you are because that relationship has now gone? Uh, you can invest a sense of identity uh, in your looks or in your physical prowess. Um, not a problem for me, perhaps, uh, either of those two temptations. Uh, but then if you do that, how do you deal with the effects of ageing that come when you lose your looks or you can't physically do the things that you used to be able to do? I mean, for someone who's like an elite gymnast, when they hit 25, they're past their prime. They're no longer at the height of their physical powers. Um, and if their identity, their worth is in what they can do physically, what happens? What happens when you become frail or... Uh, you have a disability, does that mean that you're less of a person? Who am I? It's not an easy question to answer. And humans often struggle with this question of understanding who we are. So the Russian writer, Fyodor Dostoevsky, wrote a number of famous novels, said this. Every ant knows the formula of its anthill. Every bee knows the formula of its beehive. They know it in their own way, not in our way. Only humankind does not know its formula. Only humankind does not know its formula. Is that true? Is it that we humans fail to grasp and understand who we are, our formula, if you like, where we fit and our place in the world? Right, amidst all of the changes that happen through the whole of our lives, amidst the shifting sands of trying to find and ground our identity in our work, in our relationships, uh, in the physicality of our bodies, all of which are good things, by the way. The question really is, is there something more solid, more foundational, more fundamental that we can grasp hold of and build a life on which has meaning and purpose? Who am I? How can I really understand who I am so that I can find my place in the world? Well, that's the question that we want to look at through the whole of this term. We're just going to put lots of pieces in place. It's a bit like a jigsaw puzzle with lots of puzzle pieces that need to go in. And we're going to look at what the Bible has to say. What is, as we go through the story of the Bible, the flow of what the Bible has to say about the history of the world and humanity, what does it tell us? about who we are as people, that we can have a solid grounding on. And for that reason, we're starting today right at the start of the Bible. We're going to look at the beginning of the story, and really what I want to do today is really just put the first brick in place, the, the, the fundamental starting point, the brick that we take our first stand upon, by considering that first and foremost... We are created people. We are created people. That's where the Bible itself starts. So John read from us from page two of the Bible. The only thing in the Bible uh, before what John read is Genesis chapter one, which introduces us to a God who creates. The opening words of the Bible are, 
God created the heavens. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And through that chapter, we read about a God who makes stuff, who creates stuff. He makes uh, the heavens and the skies, waters and dry land. He makes plants and the sun and the moon and the stars. He makes animals to live in the sea and in the sky and in the land. And his crowning achievement, the pinnacle of his creation, is making human beings for his world. Just like all of these other things that God makes and creates, he creates people, he creates us. Genesis chapter 2, which John read, uh, takes a different viewpoint. It's like a different camera angle. You get the story which in Genesis 1, which speaks of God's power, he just speaks words and things come into being. And then in chapter 2, it zooms in and looks at particularly the way that God makes people, and it's a much more intimate picture. We've got this beautiful image of God who's like a potter or a sculptor and he's got clay in his hands and he moulds a man, a human being. It's this beautiful, intimate picture of God's loving hands making people for relationship with himself. A clear point of the first two chapters of the Bible is that God is the one who is responsible for making us that God is the one who makes humanity. He's the agent who lies behind the very existence of human beings, indeed the whole of the universe. So a central plank of our identity, a central plank of working out what the Christian worldview of the, of the world is and ourselves is, is that God is the creator and we are creatures. We are made by God and part of the creation that he's made. Now let me be quite clear what I'm saying here and what I'm not saying here. When I speak about God as the creator, the one who uh, brings the world into being, I'm actually not making any comment at all at this point about how God makes the world. Okay? Christians have a whole range of different views as to how it happened, whether it happens in sort of six, literally six 24-hour days, or whether God uses the process of evolution to bring the world into being. Um, that's a great conversation for you guys to have over Sundays, if you want to. Um, and it's really important that we do have a robust intellectual view where we can engage with the world around us and think about it. Um, but actually, the Bible isn't that interested in the actual means by which God went about doing it. Genesis 1 and 2 is not a scientific textbook. It's not trying to tell us everything that we need to know about that process. The key point that it's trying to make is that God did it, that behind the universe is a mind, a designer, an architect, who made it happen, however he did it. That's the most important thing. I'm very happy to have a discussion uh, with you about it after the service, if this is something that you're wrestling with. But I think the key point you've got to say from the Bible is that God is the one who made it. He is the designer, the maker, the creator. And actually, I'm convinced that the scientific evidence points us very strongly in the direction that God is the one behind uh, the creation. The sheer complexity of the world, 
the fine-tuned nature of the universe that if you adjust things like gravity or other physical constants in our world, uh, the whole thing doesn't work. There's no way you can have life on planet Earth if you muck around with that stuff too much. It is very finely tuned, very complex, and points, I believe, to a creator, to a God who has made it. Uh, If you're interested in reading some more about this, I've just finished a great book, uh, God's Undertaker, Has Science Buried God? Uh, John Lennox, who's written that, is a professor at Oxford University, and he looks at the big picture, he looks at physics and cosmology, the, the vastness of the universe, and he goes right down to Uh, the small picture sort of DNA and how humans are put together. And he argues that an atheistic approach, an approach that says, no, there is no God, uh, it's just random events that have caused the world to be here, a natural selection with no direction from God, he said it just doesn't work. It can't account for the complexity and the level of information and the design that we see in the world around us. God is the one who has done it. God is the agent of creation and we don't exist independently of him. We owe our existence to God. Now that marks out our view as Christians from a secular or a non-Christian viewpoint. If you believe that people come about merely through random variations, then it removes that sense of purpose of a God designing and making us for a relationship with himself. We're not simply here by chance. You are not simply an accident. But someone has sculpted you, formed you with his loving hands, as Genesis 2 says, God has done it. Who am I? The Bible says that you are lovingly made by God, crafted and sculpted by him. Now, that means that we have a connectedness and a relationship with the rest of the creation, the world around us that God has made. And you see that in our Bible reading in Genesis chapter 2. In verse 7, we read, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. Right? It's, it's picture language as God forms this man from the ground, but it's making a very profound point as well, that we're made of the same material, the same stuff as the rest of creation. And in the original language, in, in Hebrew, it's an even stronger point that's being made. So uh, in Hebrew, man is Adam, right? That's, it's a proper name, Adam, but it's also the word which just means man or human, okay? So Adam, the man, is made from the ground, and the word for ground is Adamah. So Adam comes from Adamah. There's a play on words showing that the human being is of the same stuff as the rest of creation. Uh, The point's emphasised through the Bible. So in the next chapter, Genesis 3, we read... God God says to the man, by the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground, the Adamah. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. We pick up those words when we have a funeral service. We often say, earth to earth, 
ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Because we're created, we're limited and we're mortal and we're temporal. We have a limited time that we're around. Because we're created, we have physical limitations, right? Superman can leap tall buildings in a single bound, uh, but you and I, try as we might, can't do it, right? The, the world record for high jump is 2.45 metres. It's not very high, actually, when you think about it, uh, in terms of how high one might possibly jump, right? But we're physically limited. We have a physicality about us that means we can't just do whatever we want to do. Our bodies are limited. Uh, and as, when you get old, like me, you feel this more and more. Kirk organised a cricket game a couple of weeks ago and my muscles are still recovering from just a, a short game of cricket. I'm sort of getting out of bed, creaking and going, oh, that, that, that. I'm not the same that I used to be. My, my muscles, I'm, I'm physical and I'm limited because I am a created being. Now, this whole continuity and connectedness between us and the rest of creation... Uh, it's not just an interesting aspect of the biblical story, but it's actually emphasised with modern science and discoveries they've made. It's one of the things I love about the Bible, how often it sort of connects with what we discover in other parts of our learning and knowledge. So, for example, the Human Genome Project, which uh, was to map the 24,000 uh, genes within the human body, which, incidentally, that project was headed up by a Christian scientist, a guy called... Um, Francis Collins, evangelical Christian, great scientist, uh, strong Christian person, um, shows that you know, human beings and chimps, for example, we share over 97% of our DNA coding. Right? That's a fair bit, isn't it? I mean, we shouldn't get too carried away. We share about 50% of our DNA coding with bananas. All right? So there's sort of similarities with things which seem quite different. But the point is, we're made of the same stuff as the rest of creation. Um, we might express it in terms of chemicals or atoms or whatever else rather than uh, dust, but it's making the same point that we're a part of the creation and we're connected to it. We're physical beings that God has put together. Yes, there are marked differences between humans and other creatures, other animals. We're going to speak about that next week. We're going to look at what the Bible says about people being made in the image of God. But I think the starting point is to recognise that we have a relationship with the rest of the world, the creation that God has made, and we're a part of it. If you want to think about the entire universe and the most fundamental categories that exist, you can divide everything into two categories. It goes like this. Right? Think about every single thing in existence throughout all of the universe, vast as it is. On one hand, you've got God, and then on the other hand, you've got things that God has made. Right? That is the most fundamental distinction that exists in all of existence. God and things that God has made, and we belong in the second category, friends. Sorry to burst your bubble uh, if you thought otherwise. We are part of the creation that God has put together. Uh, this viewpoint is reinforced throughout all of the Bible. So, for example, Isaiah 64 verse 8 says, 
Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And Romans 9.20 says, But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? God is the potter. We are the clay. God is the creator. We are his creatures. Who am I? Well, I'm part of the creation that God has made and I I share a kinship, a connectedness with the other things in our world that God has made. Now, I just want to take it one step further uh, to emphasise the fact that it's not simply the case that God simply makes the universe and makes people and then just leaves it to run by itself. The world's not like a clock where we're all cogs that God sort of winds up like a clock and then he nicks off. Having made it, he just leaves it to run by itself. Uh, there's a viewpoint called deism, which was really popular in like the 17th and 18th century, which held that view that the world was a completely closed system. God makes it, but then he's got nothing to do with it after that. It just carries on by itself. But no, that's not the picture of the Bible. God is much more intimately connected with the world that he's made with that. And again, Genesis 2 verse 7, after God has formed the man from the ground, we read, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. God's the one who breathes life into humans and it's not just a one-off, but it's actually the God who sustains our life, God who gives us breath day to day and upholds us every single second of the day. We're dependent on him for every breath that we take. So when Paul in Acts 17 is trying to share the good news of Jesus with the people in Athens, he says, God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives to everything life and breath and everything else, for in him we live and move and have our being. God gives life. God gives breath. God sustains the universe and makes sure that it keeps on running. Every day, every moment of the day, we're dependent on him. The next breath that I take has only come because God is sustaining me. God allows that to happen for things to keep functioning and for life to continue each and every moment. Who am I? I'm made by God, one of his creatures. I'm connected and part of the rest of creation that he's made. And I'm sustained and I'm upheld. My life, moment by moment, comes from God. Okay, so what? What does this teach us, this first piece of the puzzle? What's the implications for us? The first thing that I want us to learn today is that you cannot fully know yourself, you cannot fully understand yourself until you know God. That you can't fully know yourself apart from God. If we are creatures, if we're made by God, that we owe our existence and our ongoing life 
to God, then any attempt that we might have to understand who we are, to find our identity apart from God is destined for failure, isn't it? Because it's such a fundamental part of the way that the world has been made, that God is the one who has made us, and if we ignore God and we reject God and we just try and work out who we are from ourselves, we'll fail because we'll miss a huge part of who we are. If you're here and you are investigating Christian faith, you're not sure whether God is there or not. The, the Bible does tell us that we cannot actually know ourselves and know our purpose in the world apart from God. Knowing yourself is not just about looking inside yourself, searching your heart. It's actually looking outside yourself to the one who made you and having a relationship with the God who made you. And relationship with the God who made you only comes through Jesus Christ. God says he sends his son into the world, Jesus, so that we can be restored to the, to the creator God, relationship with the creator God who made us. If you really want to know who you are, if you want to know your identity, if you want to know your place in the world, you need to know God. You need to have that relationship with God through Jesus Christ to understand yourself in relation to, to your creator. That's the first thing. The second thing is if we are creatures made by God, then we have an obligation, a mandate to worship God. If the fundamental existence in all of the universe is God and things that God has made, and if we are in this category, then we must relate to the God who made us rightly. We need to give him honour and glory, we need to worship him and live our lives under his direction. Now, one of the dangers that we have as human beings is that we're tempted to worship things which are within the creation, <laughs> including ourselves, um, but we focus our attention so much on the things that God has made and we ignore the God who has made us, who sits in that other category from everything else. But time and time again, you see in the Bible that we're called on to look to God and to worship him. So in Revelation chapter 4, the last book of the Bible, Revelation 4.11, it says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. Why? Why is God worthy? For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. The whole of creation is called on to worship God, to sing his praises, to live our lives under his good rule. And because we are creatures, we're part of the creation, that is required of us as well, that we must be worshipping beings, worshipping the God who made us, turning our attention to him. Lastly, there is a real assurance and confidence that comes from knowing that we are made by God, that we're made with a purpose, that we're not an accident. Think about things that you've made. All right? Maybe you've spent time on an artwork or you've built something or maybe you've written something that you've sweated over and it's your creation. Right? If someone destroys that or disregards that or treats it badly, it impacts you, doesn't it? Because you've poured love and energy into the thing that you've created. 
There's a relationship between you and the work of your hand. And that's exactly the same for us. If God has made us, lovingly formed us, moulded us and sculpted us, we're his masterpieces, then there's a relationship with him and he loves us and he has a purpose for us. This is how it's beautifully expressed in Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You're not an accident. God made you purposely and purposefully. Don't listen to what the scientific atheists say, that you're just here by random chance. You're not. God made you and he loves you. You matter to him and that is core to your identity. A friend of mine who suffers from deep and dark depression, really dark moments where he's in a pit trying to pull himself out, says that this is the thing that he hangs onto in the midst of his moments of darkness. That God made him and therefore God loves him. And he sort of clings to that like a, like a branch for life in those deep and dark moments of depression. That he matters because God made him and loves him and cares for him. I want to finish by reading you a poem. This is a poem by a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor in Germany uh, and a writer uh, at the time of the Nazis in Germany. And he actually got sent to a prison camp because he was part of a plot to overthrow and assassinate Hitler. Um, The plot didn't work. He was found out that he was part of it, so he was sent to a prison camp. And he was killed in that prison camp put to death just before the Allies liberated the camp. In this poem, he wrestles with the question of identity, and particularly he's wrestling with how other people view him and his own internal struggles of how he views himself. And he comes to a stunning conclusion in his final line. The poem's called, Who Am I? Who am I? They often tell me I step from my cell's confinement, calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from a country house. Who am I? They often tell me I used to speak to my warders freely and friendly and clearly as though it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I bore the days of misfortune equally, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then really all that which other men tell of? Or am I only what I myself know of myself, restless and longing and sick like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colours, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighbourliness, tossing in expectation of great events? powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making, faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I? This or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once, a hypocrite before others and before myself, 
a contemptibly woebegone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. I'm going to invite the band up, and as they come up, I'm going to pray for us. Loving Creator God, we thank you that we are yours, that we belong to you, that we are the work of your loving hand, your masterpieces sculpted with great care. Help us to understand who we are in relationship to you. Help us to know our deep worth because you have formed us and you love us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.